1: You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network.
0: We have begun a new calendar and another 25,000-year cycle as we journey into a new realm of reality through the windows in your mind. We now begin with the knowledge of humanity and its divine origins from intergalactic conversations from the past and present. Let us look through a window into the ever-evolving consciousness and explore new possibilities with our place in the cosmos and the quantum world. Grandmother Parisha of Cherokee Heritage reveals the wisdom of the ancient past that will lead us into a peaceful future. Experience the love and peace through the exceptional wisdom of Grandmother Parisha as she shares science and ancient knowledge merged together to benefit all of humanity. Greetings,
1: this is Parisha, and I'm your host of Windows in Your Mind. We're going to take a journey today with Dr. He and Nugent, or you pronounce that wind, don't you, Dr. He and Nguyen? Yep. We're going to be with He and Nguyen today and actually discuss robotics and exactly where he's working and the things that are coming forward to our future. Most people aren't aware, unless you're keeping up with some of the uh, unsensationalized news that comes across things more than CNN, that we actually already have a robotic city in Saudi Arabia, right, Dr. Dean? And that we also have definitely a forecast of doctors and scientists that are saying, by the year of 2025, we will all be a robotic civilization. So we need to get with it, find out what's on the scenes and what's happening. So welcome, Dr. Hand. It's Good to have you here. Thank
2: you, Grandmother. It's great to be here.
1: Okay, so basically uh, we will want to just start. I'm going to let you discuss what you already know about what's going on in Saudi Arabia.
2: Okay. No, uh, So the field really has moved very fast, and um, for the listeners... I spent the first 10 years of my career practicing medicine and I never realized, you know, how fast the world was developing uh, tech, with regards to technology and innovation. They say it takes about 30 years for the newest developments to actually make it um, to the, the front lines, especially in medicine and healthcare of what we do. And so for the last, you know, five or six years, I've been very active in the innovation space. And, you know, my my interest and passion is how do we bring, you know, the latest stuff, uh, to people quicker. And one of the things that definitely has moved so much more quickly than I even ever realized was the field of artificial intelligence, um, and then into robotics. Um, so recently, um, you know, we, we have a company called Vitalize, which is all about, you know, how do we, um, take the latest, um, developments in medicine and science and healthcare And how do we create a system to get that to as many people as possible? Um, And one of the areas we look at um, very closely is the field of artificial intelligence. So I'm talking most days to different people and thought leaders and uh, feel that, at least in healthcare, um, we uh, work on a daily basis with some of the companies that are doing things right at the very cutting edge. So recently we were introduced to um, a lady, a brilliant lady, by the name of Martine Rothblatt, who um, has been a mover and shaker herself. But she recently uh, was on Oprah and a whole bunch of other TV shows uh, because one of her life goals is to ask and potentially prove the question, can we take a person's consciousness and put it into a computer or a robot? So she's behind a robot called Bina 48, which they call is the most sentient robot. Um, It's made in the image of her uh, wife, Bina. And uh, I think Time Magazine last year did an interview with the robot and said it was one of the most spookiest um, experiences because (laughs) it was so lifelike, you know. And um, before I had come into the technology space, I was not aware. I thought that artificial intelligence was you know, it was a thing in Terminator and the movies and and whatnot. But um, every, it's almost on a daily basis now, you know, I think things are, developments are coming out, uh, things are being done, new products are are being brought to the market that would absolutely blow your mind. And one of these things that I came across was um, Martin Rothblatt and a few other partners um, have become involved in, a a project called NEOM, that's N-E-O-M. So it's um, supposed to be a city of the future, and if you go on the internet and type in NEOM in Google, you will see just exactly what their vision is. But um, it's a a project out of Saudi Arabia, it's on the border of uh, Saudi Arabia and Egypt, and they're putting $500 billion into building a robotic city that's fully powered by artificial intelligence. Um, I had no idea this was going on, but it's been in the works for quite a few years. And the plan is, you know, to uh, create, you know, uh, a city of the future that really, you know, represents almost where we're all heading. And it's really such a great time of change and it's going to turn everything on its head. And we can talk about that later in the show. But there are just so many um, things happening out there. But uh, this robot city, all the healthcare, all the power, you know, um, all the infrastructure, the buildings, they're all going to have embedded artificial intelligence in in the walls, in the lights, in the, you know, the appliances. Uh, they're looking to see how they can deploy robots uh, there. So I believe there's a company that we've been talking to recently called Hanson Robotics. Uh, they built a robot called Sophia, who you may have seen uh, on the internet lately. Uh, she, even though that's not, Uh, True artificial intelligence, what they present certainly is scary. Um, Recently, there was an investor conference that Sophia ran by herself. She was on the podium and the investors all asked her questions and she gave the appearance of really answering um, in a very uh, human way, um, making jokes and everything. And so what really blows my mind every day is how close we are. You know, like the basic technology seems to be there. They're building a city that's based on artificial intelligence and robotics and it really you know as we move into the future especially as we see how this city goes it's going to cause us to ask ourselves both as people and as a society society so many questions like what are we going to do with ourselves once robots and computers are running everything
1: very good point and a point that i often discuss on the show and My answer to that, along with a lot of other very uh, spiritually inclined or conscious uh, awareness, any of us dealing at all with any of the consciousness movements that we're in, simply says at this point that then that actually pushes us to the very edge of what we need to face as entities ourselves of what we are and the extent of what we are. At this point we have been taught to simply be this manual operating mass of cells and matter. And now we're actually seeing, okay, and so we have all these particular jobs, and I can only deal with maybe at this point the capitalism inside the United States, but there is capitalism at some level or another all over and in any country. But then it it actually totally develops on the fact of human productivity, that's being changed, as Dr. Wins just shared with us that's being changed, so when we see those changes and especially in some of the conferences to where the announcements come that by twenty you know two thousand twenty five well beloved, it's two thousand eighteen. What are we talking about seven years? yep, you know, and so at this point, how well prepared are our governments and our particular uh, you know foundations of organization that rule or help or assist whatever we consider our uh, our cities our homes and so forth how, how well prepared are they to see the economic change of this because you're talking about job replacement it's huge it's huge and we you know we need we need already not we need to have already for 20 years been discussing how do we then move to the next phase of that Well, in the consciousness movement, I see hope for that because I've known this has been coming for the last 50 years. So I have been making preparation for that. But at this point, when you are actually, you know, seeing at this time where you're drawn maybe more toward meditation, looking at the particular resources within yourself, what you are and who you are. You know, how many of you truly understand the statement that I make most often on this show in Windows in Your Mind. You know, you're not in the universe. The universe is in you. How serious are you taking this? How much are you actually working to develop all of the silent communications and intelligence that rests within your unit and body? And just take everything for granted on the macro level. Just it has to be gross matter or you don't deal with it. Um, One of the things that we've discussed over the last couple of days is I posted something on my Facebook that had to do with the parasites in salmon. Okay, I got like over 1,700 people banging on that particular, um, you know, post. Because they were horrified with what they're seeing, okay? This was not pointing out something terrible that has been hidden. It's always been there. In every food source, there are parasites. In you, there's parasites. There's parasites in everything. The point on the post was about how do we actually work with that and make sure that we don't have any ill after effects with it. Well, my particular interest in that is because a lot of people I know love sushi, And I realized that if you were in Japan and other countries where that is a major uh, style and, and way of, you know, eating, it's done correctly. In our country and other countries, that fish is frozen, unfrozen, refrozen, unfrozen, and refrozen as demand, so puts it. So then there's a lot more parasital growth on things that sometimes creates ill effects that people are totally unaware of. And unfortunately... Not all of our doctors are prepared for it because these are things that they don't see on an ordinary flu-based level. So then if we're looking at the fact that very soon, within the next seven years, and as Dr. Nguyen is saying, it's it's happening now. You've got Sophia. Go on, you know, go on the Internet and look at this. You know, don't just sit there with your head buried in the sand. Open your mind and look around, you know, not in a way of fear or desperation, but, Get to know and understand. My whole base of this program and Windows in Your Mind is to help you understand who you are really. And that the origins of what that is, to say you're human, has been far, far too long denied. And that as you step into acquainting yourself with more of what you are about and your capabilities and how you fit into this whole bigger picture... And artificial intelligence becomes very, very fearful. And I believe, as Dr. Wynn does, that it's based on ignorance because people don't understand then how does it all fit in our world. And I see it as a plus because as we were discussing earlier today, you know, there's a shortage of doctors is the point you were making, Dr. Hinn, And that at this point in remote parts of the world, they don't have medical care like you have readily available in the cities. And in most cases, it is actually the base of their fatality rate. They can't get help, okay? But then these robots would actually be trained to go in and take care of, say, say this particular location in this particular part of the country normally has these particular conditions that become very threatening and make people very sick. That robot could be programmed to totally take care of all of that. Okay, and then if that robot should come into an extraordinary situation that is not one of the normal ongoing particulars of that location, then that's what Dr. Wynn is working with with Vitalize, actually setting up councils and stuff to where doctors would then continue to feed downloads or uploads, whichever it's called at this point to the robot, to actually prepare the robot to be better capable of handling even something that's kind of off the record or not normal demand on their particular needs and place in the society. So there are, there are pluses here. There really are. You know, we, we see countries, I deal a lot with just people's horrible problems, okay? In places where water is not readily available, robotics will change that. All of the particulars that we find so extraordinarily impossible to change, you know, with artificial intelligence coming in, we're coming into clean energy. They will not be talking to us about gasoline and how we will be extracting those particular things from the earth. So better and greater solutions are available from the pure source of energy. So my point is, and what I want to keep bringing about on my program is actually letting you know, don't get to a place that this is a desperate, scary change, that we can embrace this with intelligence. But one of the major points that we have to start asking our leaders, and I encourage you, get on you know, the computers, write these emails, get them out to your leaders. Who's working on finding how people evolve and move to their particular financial needs and levels? while all of this is growing and taking place. You know, we've we've had a few examples of the impact of industry change and how it put millions of people out of work. We saw how scary that got. The crime rate went up and everything else. You have this very good uh, person who has maybe never in their whole life entertained stealing anything. They go to work every day and have paid their way all the way, you know. And then there's these three children sitting there crying from four days of hunger and a wife that now has become ill from the stress and worry for her family. And there's this householder who has always provided, that picks up a gun, goes out and finds money to bring home. These things become situations from such as this. And if we're not prepared and we're not educated and we're not looking at what it's going to take, then we have to begin to realize it's going to be a cataclysmic kind of impact. But it doesn't have to be. Get on it with me. Listen to this. And like I said, start writing those letters to your, your officials and to our president, asking who's who's actually making the plan for when the robotic air actually takes place and takes over all of the levels of human productivity. Dr. Hinn, you want to say more to that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with everything you said um, you know, we look at it. We look at it a lot in healthcare, and um, it, it's kind of funny to me because I've turned into very much an innovator um, and an entrepreneur, which means that I try to find the best solution for a particular uh, problem. And in this case, almost on a daily basis, as I mentioned, I look at the different things that people are doing. For instance, uh, we are at the Innovation Center in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona for ASU, and that place is full of people working on artificial intelligence and robotics. And right next to us, um, the office next to us, uh, there's a young doctor there who um, has an artificial intelligence program around epilepsy. And it's because when he was younger in medical school, he um, actually got a mold infection. Mm. Um, I won't mention his name. I didn't ask his permission yet to tell his story, but it really inspired me and blew me away. Um, the doctors couldn't figure it out for two years, and it wasn't until he started fainting uh, in the OR you know, that they, you know, they had told him he had chronic fatigue and he had fibromyalgia and all these other things that <laughs> doctors say when they don't know what's going on. You know? Or
1: what they do No, They can right. only work from what they know.
2: And so eventually he actually had to sit down and map out every single pathway in the human body to try and figure out just what was going on with him, why he was fainting, had these pains, was so fatigued. Um, and eventually he worked out, you know, there was black mold in his um, AC unit. Ooh. And uh, finally, you know, after two years, got himself treated. So he decided to, at that point, go into... And finally he got better, and he's, he's an amazing, inspiring a scientist as well as physician. And so he started a company that basically uses artificial intelligence to diagnose diseases. And so his program for epilepsy is about 95% accurate in 20 different types of uh, epilepsy. So if you ever had seizures or epilepsy, um, you know, often you might get di- misdiagnosed. And in fact, when you go for the test, which is called an EEG, um, that's only 60% accurate at mm-hmm. picking up. Your seizure, what type it is, mm-hmm. and most doctors only know four different types of epilepsy. When in fact there are more than twenty, and so now he's got this program that actually is so much more accurate that the first time you or you bring your child to a hospital, if they're using that program, they'll know straight away what it is without needing to you know test this and test that and put them on a potentially dangerous medication or put them on the wrong med, put put you or your loved one on the wrong medication, and uh, you know risk having a seizure like in the middle of the street or somewhere dangerous. Um, it's a great thing, but whenever he goes to a conference to present his work, um, there's always a great resistance. And the biggest thing that um, he hears from the audience of physicians and neurologists is, hey, this thing's gonna put me out of work.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
2: that's really what we're speaking to here. It's happening in medicine. Uh, it's gonna happen in any every industry, I believe. In fact, uh, recently, entrepreneur Mark Cuban out of Dallas um, you know, he gave a very interesting talk and, you know, they think, you know, AI and robotics is going to create about $15 trillion worth of value, which means they're going to create that value, that much value. That's the whole, that's every dollar that's spent in the United States the year is $15 trillion. They're going to create that again. And, but what does that mean? It means they're going to invent robots and programs that are going to replace ultimately processes and people. And so one of the things that, you know, people are talking about now is um, the health implications, public health implications, which leads us deeper, you know, because as we know, probably people who are on this show, you know, health is about so much more than the physical, you know, there are deep causes that are mental and spiritual and emotional and all of that. But the health implications of um, this great economic shift, um, they project you know, double or triple of the people are going to die of opioid and narcotic abuse because that's what happens when you lose your job. When you look at places like uh, D- Detroit, Michigan, when all the manufacturing went offshore. Yeah, you know? our, the, the yeah, yeah,
1: automotive companies. The,
2: the, yeah. the suicides and the death by overdose, you know, it just, it just skyrocketed. So I think I totally agree with all that. And it, it doesn't need to be something we're scared of, but it does confront us to ask the question of what else can we be, you know? And I think in today's world when we're all worrying about survival, um, you know, it's a good reason not to ask that question. What else can we be? Who can we be? And I think, but I think the time's definitely, definitely coming. And I guess that's what we're here to talk about.
1: Yeah, it's not coming. You know it's here. It's here. It's It's happening. Okay. Uh, All right. Uh, So basically what I want to come back to again here, is where did this where did the seed of this start? These these are human beings like these people you've shared with us that have actually developed these particular technologies. You know, I have on one particular you know pathway of the things I work with the religions that are seeing the six 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 mark in technology and this is the devil and this is the end of the world and everything else. I don't go there. I'm not going to make issues of whether I'm right, wrong, or they're right, wrong. This is not about that. This is about, I don't go there. And so what do I look for? I look for what are what are the particulars then that my ancestral prophecies and other people, the more extended, maybe ancient future kind of based civilizations and people that I work with, And we've been seeing this coming for a long time. And, you know, when you see movies to where it shows communities where people are very advanced in, uh, you know, intelligence and are actually doing very beautiful uh, environmental things and working with it. You know, it's like, we. how much have you begun to educate yourself to how many radio waves and all of the other energy that's working through your body that's in the field that you exist on? How well are you aware of quantum level, of atomic level influence of yourself? Okay, so right now, what I'm, I, what I'm working with is those of you who are counting yourself out of the game already, as Dr. Wynn has shared, and looking, and the desperateness that will happen... And will the drugs hit? Will the alcohol hit? Will suicide raise and everything else? That's where I'm working in the preventative of that. And the preventative to that is you understanding yourself in consciousness and what that means. What can you do with that? Well, you, the human brain, okay, has actually developed the robotics that we're talking about. So they're performing something that we know and we instill in them. Okay, so when we start working with that and we start screaming, it's like we have to all advance to a level of, of just walking past the insanities. I have watched the country that I live in, the United States, actually go through something extremely embarrassing to me as I travel about the world and, and, and definitely involve with multitudes of people from all over and everywhere. As to what's happened within the Trump and the Hillary situation in our election. And to realize that even today, when one or the other's name is mentioned in the particular collective communities that are supportive to one or the other. The the stuff that comes out of us as human beings, the cruel, brutal, abusive stuff that just begins to flow out of us. And a lot of it has no intention of allowing Any open-mindedness at all. You know, okay, first and uppermost, no political leader has ever been perfect, and neither should we expect that, and neither should we put that upon them. That as we move to this intelligence that I'm talking about, we are as much a part of that and a greater whole of that than any one person that we're asking to lead us. Okay, and so basically when we start looking, okay, at the fact that we're going to have robots doing it, Okay, and you can scream as loud as you want to with them as though they are a Trump or a Hillary. And it's not going to mean a tit thing. Okay, you're not going to make a difference. So then we begin to think through things. And the only way we can think is to be open. Okay, you can have a very strong opinion. You can have a very determined uh, outlook on something. Okay, and it's only as powerful and good as what you're looking at right now from what you know right now and it won't ever change and you won't ever get out of the box of what it is until you look and open your mind to the many other communications and information and that could and maybe would or maybe not actually change the particular fix you have taken on a situation well we need to make sure that we don't allow this kind of fix to happen on the robotic future that we're looking at but start now finding out what we do you know, I want to share a story that uh, my middle son, uh, Sinua, had actually shared with me about a particular person. He owns his own home, and he has allowed a roommate to come in, so my son is learning a lot from his housemate now. This man is works in a total different field than my son and has had a whole different kind of lifetime and, and life tests and stuff, and he shared that when he had moved in with my son. Some of the things he's now aware of that he, he, he never would have thought of ever over the 25, 30 years of being a, you know a very protective, productive head of household. So he said, like for all these years, all I ever did was go to work, and my focus purely was getting the check-in at the end of the week to provide for my family's needs. That was my whole life. That's all I knew. That's what I did, day in, day out. And he said, then I come to this phase of my life to where everybody's grown up taking care and I've actually fulfilled having a place where I can retire from that. Now, this is not a, an older man, okay? This is still a man in his 50s, okay? And he's saying, so now I'm beginning to pick my head up out of the sand and look around and realizing there's all this stuff going on. You know, there's all these things. And his reaction to robotics was, what? You know, absolutely crazy. You know what I mean? What are we looking at, Star Trek? But anyway, he began to actually look, be open, and investigate. And like he said, there's all these things that are going on in the world, and it's not that we, the public, don't want anything to do with it. It's that we are in desperation so much, providing to just survive. They won't have time to look at it. And he, in in a conversation back and forth, we came to this realization. When I spoke to, he was listening to some of the particular programs I have, and he goes, so what you're saying is that this is the time for us to prepare and know what that is and then to begin to be aware of who we are. He says, I have learned more about who I am and where I where I hold my value in just a short 15-minute meditation every day that you call mindfulness. He This is one of the people who were religiously afraid of the word meditation because that meant some ancient culture or religion or something that did not agree with their religion or whatever. But mindfulness, he was willing to be mindful. So when he went into the mindful state, he blew his self right out of his chair of what were going through his head and being an uncomplicated person he was getting a lot of good stuff so like he said he's come to knowing that there is a life after survival and that in that life we really do all need to see ourselves as peacekeepers now this is a man who's worked driving a truck all his life this is what I get turned on with. This is what's changing, and we must change that to see our future in this robotic, uh, advanced look that Dr. Wynn is giving us here. We're, gonna, we're in that. You're in, in the next seven years. You know, we are in it, and in the next seven years, it's going to become more physically a part of your everyday life. What are you doing with that? You have to start looking to who you are, beloved. You have to start finding out what you actually do with your gifts and with what this body, this miracle of absolute pure intelligence is that you call body-mind. So in all the things that we're seeing, remember that the robotics were actually created by human genius that has actually learned how to take intelligence and put it into something other, than us just being born into the world. Now, for religions, it creates a ton of questions, doesn't it? Are these things holy? Are these things godless? Are they of the devil? And do they have a soul? Do they have karmas? Do You know, I mean, there's a ton of stuff. I think that we can talk about that as we move along, but right now, the most important thing is, is you, and you discovering the great intelligence of which you are, and how we're going to work with other things doing the sweat labor and the busy stuff that took you away from actually taking time to explore yourself as a divine being. Okay, so we go back to that and seeing some, the, like the man that you spoke of, Dr. Nguyen, that actually had to use his own case that's not a new scenario, is it? Medicine no. discoveries have been made with people just in his kind of situation that that's had right. to do that to save themselves. Mm-hmm.
2: No, that's absolutely right. Um, I mean, multiple, like the guy who discovered the uh, cure, or well, the cause of uh, stomach ulcers. He's an Australian guy who went in and uh, ate a whole bunch of bacteria just to prove to the world and he won a Nobel Prize. But um, um, absolutely agree with all of that. And I think... Um, in the case of, uh, my friend who runs the epilepsy company, um, he couldn't find solutions anywhere else. And it's so common for us in medicine and I'm sure in many other industries, you know, we, we just take the status quo as what's normal and what's possible when, you know, I'm amazed every day when I, you know, uh, go to work and do the things we do, I can see a very, very clear path already right now that within four or five years, uh, much of the healthcare interactions that people will have will all be driven by artificial intelligence and if not outright robots. I mean, we're working on those projects right now. I mean, in the beginning, it's just developing, you know, what we call the the learning algorithms to... Because these computers can learn, you know, they learn by themselves. You just point them in the right direction, you teach them when they're right, you teach them when they're wrong, and because they've got so much computing power, they will just go away and think about it. And every time you teach them, and they have another interaction, that is a reflection of, of the world that we understand. You know, they get a little bit more realistic. They get a little bit more human. And even, you know, we're about to deploy a uh, a chat agent. You know, you go online and you click click on to ask questions. I mean, uh, we're about to probably do a partnership with. Um, they've been working on this uh, healthcare artificial intelligence platform for 35 years. I didn't mm-hmm. even know AI existed before five years ago, but the company we're working with, they power all the satellites for NASA. Um, its They've literally told me they've had you know hundreds of data scientists working on the platform for 35 years, and when they showed me the demo, it just blew my mind. Like I couldn't tell the difference between asking questions of a human and asking questions of this artificial intelligence. It's already here, and once you get that into a clinic or onto a website or on an app and you start to talk to people, you know, on the back end, what the scientists and what the, you know, the business people are doing is they're teaching that robot, you know, Hey, you did this right, you did this wrong. And the robot just learns, and it'll get to the point where you won't be able to tell the difference. And we call that the Turing test, which is, you know, what existentially, what does it even mean when you can't tell the difference between a robot and a human? But it's already here. I mean, on our platform, it's going to be here in Q3, you know, in just past June, you know, we'll be able to show you some of that stuff and we'll be using it with real patience already, you know, in the beginning, just for coaching and for, uh, you know, basic customer service and things like that. But it's not a fast step from there, you know, because the hardest thing is to really bring it from that very basic decision making to behaving with all the paradox and, uh, contradiction and quirkiness of a real human being. Um, so I can say it's already here. And, um, for me, the great existential question for, uh, doctors and healthcare, which I actually have a lot of optimism about, but you know, we're, we're all going to have to face, um, our own, you know, judgments and past and what we think we were, it's going to, all of that's going to come out and for doctors, it's going to be, you know, if I don't need to make decisions you know, what is my real purpose? And I think there still is a purpose. I think, you know, we're going to have to confront the fact that there are many other things beyond technology that go into healing, that it's something that uh, I would argue robots will never be out to of touch, you know, which is as we go deeper inside ourselves as uh, people and conscious beings and spirits, you know, we, we are going to be forced to look at those areas. So I'm actually looking forward to that beyond the fact that we have to admit these algorithms right now, I mean, they're already out diagnosing doctors. And when it when all the data gets together and it gets to the point where, hey, a robot's gonna be safer, cheaper, and better for the patient, I mean I think doctors will have no choice.
1: Yeah. And and Doctor Hean has also been very involved in his whole life. I've known Hean for many, many, many years now. He's actually he meditates, he's actually been very successful and obtaining very advanced levels of mind and concentration as well and therefore i see him as a genius you you hear what he's talking about he's right on top of all of this and definitely a very deep spiritual person the the point that you made dr hean that let's puts me in a place of where i how i work with humans on this when you made the point of how the robot you actually give it a pathway you give it a particular to start with and how it just keeps advancing generating its own information now we're already in the process of that and human beings could be doing that you there is nothing you can't ask google
2: right you know what i'm saying right.
1: and if human beings expect to have a place where they truly understand the ability of the robotics then you have to go back to all the consciousness training and all the information that's been out here for over 50 years. I started teaching quantum over 50 years ago, okay? Today it's become a buzzword, everybody's doing it. But it it needs to be more than that. It needs you to be understanding that the more information you put in, the actual more activation you have of your neural net possibilities. When I talk about a neural net, I'm saying there's as many neurons in your head as there are stars in the sky. Ever walk out on a starry night and look up? Okay, there's trillions. Okay, so this robot is obedient. It goes forth and continues to gather the data. Doesn't argue with it, nor analyze it, nor make it fit in your particular box of persuasion. It simply just collects the information. Then puts it into whatever level it needs to be to make it a match or to make it work. Okay. Your mind has that possibility. Hear what I'm saying. Possibility. Because it only becomes possible with you actually taking control and actually holding it into wherever, whatever direction you want to take it. So the robots are going to teach us as humans to be more disciplined and to show our intelligence greater. Because you cannot just ignore all of this or say, I'm not interested in this. And I find a lot of very beautiful people, sometimes when I'm teaching, especially if I'm teaching on an elder's level, coming as a spiritual elder, they say, I wasn't prepared for all of the science and the head stuff. Okay, the heart has more neurons than the brain, so there's no way you can talk about the heart without talking about the thought process and the consciousness that makes us equivalent to whatever level of intelligence you can hold. Anything those robots can do, we are a thousand percent capable of, but are we doing it? And that's what's taken the advance to what we're going. So in order to keep our own place in the universe with all this, is we have to begin to know that consciousness is the key and that what we learn of our abilities as a human and how much more, as Dr. Hean has made the point, the robot will never be as we are as humans. There will always be something of the human element of what we are that the robot cannot have as possible in the programming. But come so close, it could scare the daylights out of us, okay? That it can reason and, and rationally come to decisions that you're not coming to because you won't get out of your box. You won't go beyond what you want to believe. Well, we really have to begin to look at that now, okay? And not, like I said, not seeing this as a threat. This is an awakening, and we've got these seven years. Okay, get into mindful groups. Get into groups and maybe organizations that you want to support that have never been of interest to you. You are the key. You are the solution of how you work through this time. You're not a victim. And nothing is being put upon you that truly, truly you don't understand. So then we move forward. We have to move to the places to where we begin to discover what it is that you, you who you constantly hear me say here every week, you count, you matter, you make a difference. Okay, you're going to have to get in touch of that with yourself. You have to do that through knowing what are the processes. Just as that robot will have a process and a pathway to actually accumulate the totality of what it needs, you have that, but you're going to have to do the practice to get it. Okay, so it's actually applying yourself to that and helping you pass this time till we come to that ultimate doorway of purely a robotic world. That you're going to have to find out what you are, your capabilities, and the divine origins of what you are created of. An intelligence that does not have a computer, even a computer the size of this planet, would never be able to totally perform what your brain's capabilities are. But what are you doing with them? And how are they being used? Well, now the challenge is on. You're going to have to be counted. You're going to have to come forward. You're going to have to put yourself into information in and intelligence out so that you're actually broadcasting a greater intelligence. Garbage in, garbage out. So as long as you're just listening to all of the critical negative stuff in this world, that's what you contribute to. And believe me, when this artificial intelligence comes along, and it's being programmed to advance us to the greater heights of intelligence, you're going to be its target. So I know everybody sees it's afraid they're going to be this mad scientist that then takes all these robots and turns them against us and makes some horrible thing. Well, there's always that element of evil or craziness or whatever. Okay. But I can tell you that what I know of the community that is developing in this. They're looking to better life. They are looking to definitely lift life to a a level of potential that you could only see in a movie or dream about. So let's us get with it. Let's us get to our processes and our studies and our practices to be totally ready for the impact of that reflective realization called artificial intelligence. Now, Dr. Hean, you had actually, you've done a lot of meditation and stuff in your life. You want to share a little of that with my listeners as to sure. how you've progressed through that?
2: For sure. So uh, <laughs> it's, now it's a long story. It's been quite a while. But um, my parents, um, so I'm Vietnamese by ethnicity. Uh, my parents, uh, my dad's a doctor. My mom uh, is a pharmacist. And they grew up in Vietnam around the, around about the time of the Vietnam War. So when, um, and they were in the South. So when the war ended in 1975, everything was terrible there and they were persecuted because they were educated. And so they were part of the, uh, Vietnamese, uh, boat people, uh, refugee, um, uh, waves that, that left Vietnam in the seventies and, Eventually, they were accepted um, as refugee status into Australia, and we had many wonderful Australian people help us. My dad ended up going through medical school again and uh, eventually became a doctor after uh, quite a few hard years. And so I grew up there, very in the culture, uh, a very secular culture, if you will. They were, you know, intellectual-type people who um, had never really had the presence of any, uh, you know, uh, Spiritual or religious kind of uh, practice in their lives. And so I grew up just not having any of that either. And uh, as it goes, and after uh, many years later now, I kind of uh, have now come to understand why. But one day when I was 21, I just woke up and I just said, I don't even know, I can't even explain it. It's not explainable. But I just realized I needed to, I knew there was something more than what I was being taught at medical school, what science was telling me, Um, and I started on a journey, and um, the first part of that journey was down a path called Kriya Yoga, so I read a book called Autobiography of a Yogi, uh, written by a swami uh, by the name of Paramahansa Yogananda, I'm sure a lot of people have read that book, and um, I really was, I was, I mean, I I Dropped out of medical school and uh, decided I had to go to India to try and go to the Himalayas to become a, <laughs> a yogi, uh, which I did. I mean, I went to India and I spent um, a lot of time there. I went through initiations and I was practicing um, quite deeply and intensely. And I really, you know, those days have went on to define um, the rest of my life and they still do today in the sense that, you know, I came to. Uh, awareness of so many other uh, parts and dimensions that the world is not you know this uh one by one step by step process you know um there there's a unity in a whole there that I didn't understand before I did these practices and really going through all that you know i just was able to uh, remember or recognize um, a part of myself that is connected to to all of that. So then, after that, um, about a year it was, um, and I eventually went back to medical school. But since then, you know, I then pursued a Buddhist a Buddhist path, and uh, then uh, met you, and that the the path I'm followed for the last ten or fifteen years um, has really been about you know me finding. You know how does all of that that I learned in you know the early stages of meditation how how does that manifest in in life? And I think it's everything we're seeing today. It's us moving from a very uh, dense and physical and you know limited state of being into a place where where we truly understand that you know there's so much more going on than what what our mind today can know. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, all of this technology now is the world and the physical form evolving to the point where our mind is going to be liberated from getting caught up in all that. Because what do you do when, you know, I mean, they say that the whole robotics thing is going to be what we call deflationary in the sense that it's going to be so cheap to get a robot to do everything that everything's going to be so cheap. Okay, so it's not going to be money. That's the problem. It's going to be ourselves and what do we do and I think you know the one thing I would say that I don't know when robotics and AI will ever get there but um, I ended up applying a lot of what I learned in my meditation uh, in the field of energy medicine so I was privileged after practicing for a number of years to come to America and I was able to work and study with some of the leading uh, voices in uh, holistic medicine and energy medicine mind-body medicine And uh, one of the areas that fascinated me was vibrational medicine. And uh, there's a a professor emeritus out of Stanford by the name of Bill Tiller, who's done a lot of the uh, really amazing experiments showing that, you know, you can do whatever you want in the physical world. That's one level. But, you know, outside of all that, you know, there is the level of intention, you know, which is um, the field that we put out that, you know, we create as, as creators. And that is sort of, that's deeper than whatever we think robotics or AI can do. And so I think we'll see as our minds and our lives are freed up from the physical survival mode, um, we will be much more receptive to the opportunities, um, that these higher states, um, provide to us. There will still be problems when we have AI robots running everything, but, Um, I think at the same time, the opportunity to find those solutions in um, a higher level, a deeper level, really understanding, you know, what, what else there is that's even more fundamental than uh, the robotics and the AI and all of that, which which for me is, you know, uh, coming to understand the real nature of our mind and intention and how that can shape reality in subtle, but much more powerful ways than what, I think robots and AI and all that will come yes. to do.
1: And basically, too, Doctor, When I would like you to share with us, I know when I met you and we started to work together, you were purely going by the book. I mean, I remember talking to you about trying some of the particular techniques of healing and you were mortified that they would see you as a quack and fire right. you and everything. Right. Yet now you have actually walked away from that part of the world you have not, you're not practicing your MD as that way, you're doing it on this higher level, which would really be invention and science, right? Right. So you're working with that. But at this point, do you really truly believe, as much as you're seeing now, you're no longer in that box called MD, do you truly believe that our doctors are being educated and equipped to handle
2: true healing? I mean, in a nutshell, absolutely not. I mean, what I learned, I mean, the reason I uh, started to move away from conventional medicine was, I mean, it, it all is pretty straightforward after a while, you know, you've got a few drugs that you choose from, you know, you, you, you know, someone comes in with appendicitis. Yeah. You've got to make some decisions, but you know what you're supposed to do. And the results of those things for me never lived up to what is healing, right? Because healing for me, um, is always a shift to another level. And whatever we seem to do in medicine today, whether it's a pill, uh, an operation, you know, counselling or whatever, it can help, but I'll take counselling out of that. But the medicine and the surgery and the procedures, I mean, it can save your life, but more often than not, there are so many other factors that are involved uh, before you... Before the result is what you could truly call healing Mm -hmm. and that's why I started to move away because I noticed that the relationship the interactions I had with patients um, caused a much greater uh, of that I would call healing than the pill I gave them or you know the procedure that I did sure sometimes you know if they had a cardiac arrest or they were in sepsis or whatever and you know you did procedures yes that would save their life but still you know, I, I was just tantalized by, you know, the, sense, the feeling I had that what really was healing and what really changed things on a deep level was, you know, how did I go into these people's or work with these people and these patients? You know, there was a way, I guess, you know, that you could really change how they were experiencing their disease and help them to see things in a different way. And that whole uh whatever happened there was for me that that would be what I would call much closer to healing than whatever medication we prescribe and so that's when I started to venture into the field of mind body medicine and today you know I've learned that i mean firstly the mind we're not talking about the spirit yet, which is even more fundamental, but the mind is so powerful, and that's when you know I went to Harvard Medical School, I trained. Um, at the Mind Body, Me- uh, Mind Body Medicine Institute, you know, I saw that you could reverse uh, all kinds of diseases, you know, and you didn't need advanced surgery or pills, but you did need to understand that mind-body connection. Um, I had the opportunity to study under a guy called uh, Professor Ted Kapchuk. He's the only guy at uh, Harvard Medical without a PhD or an MD from a top university. He's an oriental medicine doctor, but he's the top placebo medicine expert in the world. And um, the experiments that he did, I mean, you know, fake surgery, fake pills, um, and they all had a positive effect and people got better, you know, and that's when I started to uh, venture into that. And after a point, I realized that everything we learn in medicine in medical school today, it's like 20 or 30 or even 50 years behind. And you can find that fact in textbooks. Yeah. I mean, medicine admits that. Yeah. And
1: And doctors are desperate. They're looking so hard for those answers.
2: I'd like you to share
1: with us, if I'm not putting you on the spot here, some years back when you were still actually doing bedside care and and in the flow of being an MD... You shared with me an experience you had. You were in one of the outlying regions, I think, of, oh, yeah. uh, of Australia. And a man came in yeah. who had actually been run over. That's right. And uh, you had no idea when you got the call what you were supposed to be doing for a person who had literally been driven over by a car. Right.
2: So, I mean, this is I don't tell this story a lot, but happy to share it today. Um, so, yeah, I used to practice a lot of... Um, Trauma, emergency, intensive care. Um, I had been doing ceremony and uh, meditation, obviously, probably for six, eight years, uh, pretty intensely. And I'd had my own transcendental experiences, you know, that that had already took me to a point where I would go through the motions, but I knew there were much uh, deeper, you know, levels of, of reality that were always coming in into play, whatever I did, you know. And so every time I would go work a shift, I mean, at the time I was doing my prayer meditation, I was also doing a, a Sundance ceremony. So every time I would go to a shift, and for any of people in healthcare, I mean, you probably can imagine, you know, every time you go to work in an emergency department, it's like a war zone. So before I would go to work, I would always send a little prayer out. And um, there were many times when... I would go to work and, you know, the, the people before me, it would have just been a total disaster. Uh, beds were full, not enough beds, people dying. And when I came, often, I, I mean, I, I'm saying like it was really weird. Um, no more patients would come all day and everyone would just sit around and like have coffee and do nothing. So I really felt and knew there was uh, an effect to intention and to sort of tuning in to you know, these deeper dynamics. Well, this one time I was working. Probably uh, it was like Eastern um, Victoria in Australia. Um, the hospital was probably two hours from the next place, and it was just me and uh, four nurses, and it was an emergency room. And um, in every emergency uh, room, there is a thing we like to call the bat phone, which is the trauma or emergency phone when they've got a very serious case coming in. It rings, and everyone freaks out a little bit, and. Uh, On this day, I remember it was in the evening and it rang and uh, one of the nurses picked it up and whenever it rang for me, I would go out the back into one of the trauma bays or somewhere where there wasn't people and I'd just sort of go out there as I'd learned to do in meditation and just, you know, I didn't even know what I was doing but I could feel after all the times, these times of practice, I could feel, you know, a part of myself out there somewhere and that's just what I did. So anyway... Um, the nurse came to me and said, Hey, you know, I want you to come and you need to talk to, these are the ambulance people. They're about two and a half hours out. And there was, um, a guy from the country who was riding an SUV at 80 miles an hour on, uh, the, uh, bonnet. Is that American word? The front, what do you call that? The hood. The hood. He was on the hood. I told this story the other week to, um, a bunch of American friends and they had no idea what I was talking about. So it's the hood. He was riding on the hood, drunk, and his wife and kids were were driving this car through the forest. Uh, Very, very rocky, bouncing up and down. And he was riding on the hood. And of course they hit a rock. And he went flying forward and the SUV with the kids inside uh, actually ran over, ran him over, uh, ran over his back. And um, apparently he was barely conscious. His wife put him on the car and they drove him uh, half an hour to the closest They're, they didn't have clinics or hospitals out there, but they had like uh, ambulance outlets. So they, they drove him to the, the paramedic station and that's where the ambulance picked him up. And that's, they were calling me because, um, he had tire tracks apparently on his back and his head. And, um, when you experience that kind of trauma, especially in your chest, you can break ribs. And when that happens, there's a, you might've seen it on the movies, but, um, what basically happens is you can form a little hole where air can come into your lung or into your chest cavity, but it can't get out. So it's like a one way valve. And that's what we call a tension pneumothorax. And it's basically a medical emergency because, um, anyway, so the the solution for that is to uh, stick a great big uh, needle into someone's chest to let the pressure out so they run me to ask me you know this guy he's blue his oxygen's gone down you know we think he's got this problem he's got lots of bruising can we do it so i just told them to do it um so they did it and you know in real time they said it was getting better and they said you know we'll be there we'll be there in an hour and a half so i was like okay (laughs) you know and uh so we just waited and eventually he showed up and I uh, was brought into the ambulance bay. You know, I went in there and had a look at him, uh, gave him a, a look up and down. They actually looked fine. You could still like, see the tire tracks on his head. Um, and there was this big plastic thing sticking out of his chest. Um, anyway, you, the thing you do is you send him to have a scan to make sure to see what's broken. And so we sent him for the scan. And the next thing I knew, the radiologist, um, the guy who checks the x-rays, called me. And he said, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Uh, Firstly, from what you've told me, I thought this guy would have so many broken bones, but he's got no broken bones. Um, Secondly, and this is the weird thing, um, when the paramedics went to put that big needle in his chest, what actually happened was the, the needle, which is surrounded by a plastic tube, the tube has actually gone around under his skin all the way to the back. He's got no lung injury. He's got no broken ribs. There's absolutely nothing wrong internally. But what's really strange is how did that uh, cannula get around under his skin? It's, it's impossible because the whole device is like a big, long steel pipe, sharp one. You're supposed to jam into someone's chest to let the pressure out. They did that. Everyone saw him getting better. And somehow now everything, you know, is absolutely normal except for this weird tube. So... Everyone was amazed. They wanted to write it up in a journal. They had no idea what happened. Um, you know, I, I didn't say anything and I just smiled because those kind of things happen a lot to me and I'm sure they happen a lot to everyone. You just don't see it.
1: Okay, and what he and his sharing is obviously the way medicine works as we talk about it and how I teach it and work with it, that there, we're never alone and we have access to sources immeasurable when the times needed and circumstances such as non-reality healing such as this and outcomes are extremely common and we wish you all a fantastic week remember always it is you that decides the outcome of your life this is Parisha and this is windows in your mind
0: Thank you for listening to Grandmother Parisha on your journey to the windows in your mind. For further information or to contact Grandmother. Please visit parishes-world.com. P-A-R-I-S-H-A-S-World.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com.
2: It's my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
2: Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs>